thank you, Pastor Josh, for allowing us to come and be a part of this uh, Mission Sunday. And uh, we say, we say, God richly bless you in all that you do for the cause of Christ. Now, I, I kind of wish this morning I had a, uh, I had a whiteboard, and I keep looking at those big circles over there of light, and I, I wish I had a big marker because I'd mark all over the wall. Uh, and you're probably grateful that I don't have a marker, aren't you, Pastor Josh? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we may, we may just kind of demonstrate here a little bit as we go. But my heart is full this morning, and uh, I'm not sure how this is going to come out. Uh, this may be like a sawed-off 12-gauge shotgun this morning where I just splatter all of you with some stuff, okay, and uh, hoping that some of it sticks, amen. But as I, uh, last night, uh, I, I'm, I'm not yet acclimated back to the time, and so I woke up at about about 3.15 this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of going over some, you know, some scripture and things, and uh, Jane reaches over, and and she's rubbing my head, and I know what she's feeling for, and, and uh, I, have a, I have a CPAP mask that helps me to sleep, and I had it off, and so she's rubbing my head to see if I have my mask on, and, and uh, she didn't even bother to say, what are you doing? And, uh, but anyway, uh, up about an hour and a half, and then, and then back to sleep, and uh, the alarm went off and got up a little late, amen? But uh, nonetheless, we're here. Somebody say glory. Wow. I, I tell you, I, I, want, I want to share a couple things with you this morning uh, in regards to missions. And uh, I, I just, I have appreciated uh, just tremendously uh, everything that has been shared this morning in regards to missions. Uh, the, the presentation of the kids was wonderful. Uh, I, I love that. I love the flags. Uh, I love all of the uh, you know, the material that was shared with us, uh, the facts and the figures, all those kind of things. And let me tell you this morning, they are real, all right? They are very real, about 7.5 billion and growing every moment of the population on planet Earth. And uh, because of the uh, birth rate exceeding the death rate now, literally around the world, uh, our Earth is growing literally by the millions every single year. So in order to keep up with that, we have to keep up with sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. Of those 7.5 or so a billion people that are now on planet Earth, there's possibly 2.8 billion that have not yet heard the message of Jesus Christ for a single time. I know when we start throwing out big numbers, that sometimes it gets a little uh, it gets a little weighty, and we think, well, what can I do? I am a single individual, and and I cannot reach 2.8 billion people. Well, that's true, but you know, Christianity and sharing Christ is kind of like eating an elephant. You know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. All right. And so sharing Christ is kind of like eating an elephant. It's not that we reach 2.8 billion people all at once, but we reach them one at a time. Okay, all right, all right. We reach them one at a time. Amen? 
let me let me share with you and you and you know Acts chapter one and verse eight. If you're uh, anybody here uh, have been Pentecostal all of your life, let me see your hand. Any Pentecostal life, lifers? Amen. Anybody been Pentecostal for ten years, five years, five minutes? All right. If you're Pentecostal, you know Acts chapter one and verse eight. After that, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive what in our life? Power. Power to do what? Power to shout. Power to speak in tongues. Power to feel good. Power to have goosebumps run up and down our back. No, but power to be witnesses for Christ. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm thinking this morning, and I'm, I'm thinking whether we should actually mention this or not, but, you know, every one of us that have received Christ is a witness. Amen? Now, now missionaries may be a little bit different in that, uh, in the true sense, a missionary is one that leaves where he or she is and goes to a different area to help establish the work of the Lord there. But every single believer in Christ should be a witness of the Lord. Amen? And where are we to be witnesses to? Help me, if you will, here. I have a whiteboard and I have a red marker because I love red markers, okay? I'm over here and I have Jerusalem. And over here I have Judea. Over here I have Samaria. And over here I have the ends of the earth. And so we are called to be witnesses where? All right. And so we are not just called to be witnesses here in Jerusalem, or we can skip over Jerusalem and we can go to Judea, or we can slip over here into Samaria, or we can slip over here to the ends of the earth. Now we sang a song a moment ago called to the ends of the earth. The chorus reads, Jesus, I believe in you, and I would go to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, for you alone are the Son of God, and all the world will see that you are the God that you are. And that's wonderful that we sing about going to the ends of the earth. We get excited on Mission Sunday about going to the ends of the earth. By the way, how many have a passport? Take your hands down. How many do not have a passport? How in the world could you go to the ends of the earth without a passport? You need a passport right now. We got applications out of the foyer, and you get one, and you start, I'm kidding, we don't have them out there. But you get, a, you get an application, get a passport, so you can be ready to go where Christ wants you to go. Okay, all right, here we are. So, we're going to go to the ends of the earth, all right? What I'm interested in, are you willing to go to the end of the street? Jesus, I love you. I love you. I'll go. I'll go to. I'll go anywhere. I'll. I'll go to Africa. And I'll go to the jungles. I'll go 
okay, all right. Maybe you should go to the end of Elm Street. Elm Street? That, that's the street I live on. But I, I want to go to the ends of the earth. Go to the end of Elm Street. Ah, come on. Come on, get with me this morning. Amen? Amen? I, I want to share a, a thought in all of this. Don't, don't forget here. Here we got, what have we got here? And what have we got here? And what have we got here? And what have we got over here? Okay, we got those four years. When we talk about Jerusalem, do you mind if I turn my back to you just for a moment? I'm going to anyway, all right? Over here, we got Jerusalem, and when we think of Jerusalem, we think of where we are. That's our home, if you will, all right? That's what we're thinking about with Jerusalem. And then, when we're thinking about Judea, we're thinking about all those regions right around where we are, all right, where home is. Okay, now I'm going to skip this one. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. Well, we know where the ends of the earth is. That's 12,500 miles either direction from where you are right now. That's the ends of the earth. Amen? Well, what about you skipped, uh, you skipped Samaria? Yeah, I did. You see, I think Samaria represents all of those lost and forgotten and unwanted people in the world. Samaria was not very thought of, well thought of, in the day of Christ. They were not considered uh, to be full uh, participants, if you will, in the society of the day. And sometimes today, we, we, maybe we think that Samaria is a location. However, I think that there are Samaritans everywhere that we go. There are individuals that are lost, marginalized, forgotten, pushed aside, Nobody wants anything to do with them. They're everywhere. They're in Galena. They're in Joplin. They're in St. Louis. They're in New York City. They're in Nairobi, Kenya. They are literally everywhere around the world. So, we got to reach Jerusalem. Somebody say Jerusalem. Somebody say Galena. Somebody say Joplin. Somebody say wherever you live. I meant for you to name your city, all right? Uh, and then Judea. Somebody say Judea. Somebody say Samaria. Somebody say to the ends of the earth. Now, I am not here this morning saying to you that if you don't go to the ends of the earth, that you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you're not, you're not involved in witnessing, or you're not... You don't have a missionary spirit. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm here to tell you that it is the task of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church big C. All right. Church big C. It's the task of the church everywhere to see that all of the people of this planet are reached with the message of the gospel. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, 
Let me share this thought with you from John chapter 1 and verse 14. John, John is probably, uh, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, I like John, and uh, I like I like First John. I mean, first chapter of John, especially. Uh, ever since I don't know how many remember, like twenty-five years ago. I don't know about that. Twenty-seven years ago, we had a general convention here uh, in Joplin, Missouri, and uh, we had invited Bishop J. Floyd Williams who was Pentecostal Holiness, I, I believe, general uh, superintendent in, in those days. And uh, he came and he was going to preach. And I, I was, I, I remember that I was so anticipating uh, his message. And uh, when I got to, the, I got to the, uh, the convention hall that evening, I made sure that I got a seat right down front because I wanted to hear every word that this man of God had to say. And so when we began the service, we began, of course, with worship, and he wasn't on the platform yet. And uh, as, the, as the worship kind of, uh, you know, began and started, then he came out. They ushered him out. There was another gentleman with him who later I learned was his pilot. Amen. Uh, I wish I knew my pilot. Amen. Well, I do know my pilot. Amen. Uh, his name is Jesus. Amen. Anyway, they came out and they sat uh, on the on the uh, on the rostrum, and I watched him during the worship time. And he sat there. He didn't stand. He sat there, and he was almost mummified. And I, as the longer that we went, I thought, Wow. We are in for it tonight. This guy has no emotion whatsoever. He doesn't clap. He doesn't lift his hands. He doesn't do anything. And I, I just thought of this now. He probably had been in Nairobi the night before. I don't know. And maybe he was jet lagged. I don't know. But anyway, when he got up to preach, he opened his Bible and he read John chapter 1 and verse 1. And then he closed his Bible. And an hour and 45 minutes later, he stopped. And I was on the edge of my seat, and I was wondering, why is he stopping? But it had been an hour and 45 minutes. Masterful, masterful message. And so I, I, just, I, I just thought, God, John is just the greatest book of the Bible. But one verse in chapter 1, grabs my attention. It is verse 14. I, I just, I, I love this verse. It says in the good old KJV, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Somebody say amen. Now, I, I don't know whether you are familiar with Eugene Peterson's The Message or not. It's, uh, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a translation, a contemporary rendering of the scripture. And I, I really like his rendering of this 14th verse of John chapter 1. Remember, 
the, the, the King James said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Peterson's rendering of this is the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Wow. I like that. He became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You know what we need in 2017? We need Jesus to move in to our neighborhood. Somebody shout amen. Move into the neighborhood. What a concept. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus literally moved in to the neighborhood. But I think that's still what he wants to do. Let me say to you this morning, I am not sure that we can reach the nations of the world without first reaching our neighborhoods. And I am not sure that if we do not reach our neighborhoods, that we will ever reach the nations of the world. Now remember, we got Jerusalem, and we got Judea, and we got Samaria, and we got the ends of the earth. I'm not saying to you today, okay, we got to do this, and then we got to do this, and then we got to do this, and then we got to do this. Here's the way it goes. We're living for Jesus in our neighborhood. And we're also reaching out to other neighborhoods in Judea. And we're also reaching out to those that are marginalized, those that nobody else wants to deal with. At the same time, that are, we are reaching Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. At the same time, over here, the Jerusalem church is going all the way down here. And we're reaching the ends of the earth. I took that jacket to Africa with me, thinking that I would wear it. On Sunday morning last, I put it on and started to church. As soon as I got to church, I took it off and never put it on again. Let me tell you, it is hot in South Sudan, Africa. Somebody say, yeah. Let me tell you, we are reaching from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Somebody shout glory again. We must reach the neighborhoods where we live. They are everywhere. Neighborhoods are everywhere in the U.S. and around the world. In Holland, they are called Berts. In France, they are called Quartiers. In Germany, a neighborhood is a knockbox shop. In Haiti, and by the way, if you if you speak any of these languages, and I, I I butcher this, you know, don't tell anybody, okay? Just just say that was kind of funny what he said. You know, uh, Germany, they're knockbox shops. In Haiti, it's a datier. In Indonesia, a lingkungan. 
in Portugal, a barrio, in Turkey, a mahale, in Sweden, a cavarte. Neighborhoods are everywhere. They're big, they're small, they're dangerous, they're expensive, they're poor, they're inner city, they're urban, they're suburban, and even rural. And then I grew up in central Indiana and uh, on a farm. Our neighborhood, if you if you drew a mile circle like that, there might have been there might have been 20 houses, maybe I don't know, 18, 20 houses. Our closest neighbor was 100 yards away. Our next neighbor was 300 yards away. Our next neighbor was a half mile away. But yet we called ourselves neighbors, and we called our area that we lived in we called it our neighborhood. So a neighborhood can be zillions of people, or it can be just a few. Let me, let me share three interesting things about neighborhoods. You know, sometimes we say, you know, this, this whole thing about, you know, winning people, and, you know, that's pretty cool, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm really pretty shy, you know, I, uh, and, and then too, not only am I shy, but, you know, I don't have a lot, I, you know, I don't have a lot of extra money, and I can't, I can't go and do and buy books and all this kind of stuff, and I, I can't do that. So there's not really too much I can do, uh, you know, for for Christ and His kingdom. I just kind of, you know, I just kind of come to church. I get to church once a once a week, and you know, that's really cool. And 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 I I, I get to hear Brother Josh preach, and and sometimes that's pretty cool. And and. Uh, It's always cool to hear Pastor preach, right? Yeah, I, I thought so. You know, you'll you'll catch up. I think some of you have jet lag. I'm not sure. Yeah. Three things about neighborhoods. Number one, they are convenient. I can't do because. I can't go because. I can't do this because. Because, 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 because. Neighborhoods are convenient because you're already in one. Hallelujah. So you walk out your door and you're in the neighborhood. Amen. Well, what am I going to do? I mean, yeah, I'm in the neighborhood, but what do I do? Well, you say, hi, neighbor. You know? when they come out to grab the paper in the morning, when they're walking their dog, and their dog stops at your yard, you know. You don't say, hey! You say, hey! You know, give them a wave. I got, I got, I've had some really cool neighbors. I really have. And uh, we had one that just has, has moved out. He, he retired. They moved into a condo situation. They sold their home. And his name was Charlie. Charlie was a banker. And uh, Charlie uh, was just, I mean, he was just cool. He was really cool. And uh, we had, we personally had a problem with raccoons in our attic. And, uh, and we just, I mean, there was a whole family that moved into our attic. And so we first identified how they were getting in. And then we, then we tried to identify how to get them out, you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm from the country. I'm just going to shoot them, you know. But you don't shoot things in the neighborhood, amen, at least in my neighborhood, amen. 
So anyway, we, we figured out finally how to get them out and, and, and all of that. Well, I, we went through all of that, and, and Charlie was out in the yard one day, and he said, how are you doing? I said, great. And I said, got anything going on? I said, well, we, I think we got our raccoon problem you know, taken care of, and, uh, and we're, we're all sealed up now. We're good. We got all the insulation put back in. I, I think we're really good. He said, you know, he said, I've had some trouble too. I said, raccoons? He said, no, squirrels. I said, squirrels? I said, really, you got a problem? He said, yes. I said, what's going on? He said, they're eating the wiring harness off my SUV. And I said, Charlie, you got, you got three cars. He said, yeah, but they only like the wires on the SUV. I said, what flavor are they? And I'm thinking, you've got you to change the flavor. They like whatever the flavor is. That's what they like. He said, no, this is crazy. He said, so, he said, I've started trapping them. I said, trapping them? He said, yeah. He said, I got this, I got this cage, and, and I put a little bait in there, and, and they, they run in, and the door slams down, and, and then I got them. I said, what do you do with them then? He said, I relocate them. I said, where? He said, to somebody else's neighborhood. He said, but I tell you what. He said, I got it figured out. Now, he said, the other day, I caught the one that's been eating the wiring harnesses out. I said, how do you know? He said, I just know. I just know I got him. I just know he's the one. I said, what do you do? Have wires hanging out of his mouth or something? He said, no, but I just know he's the one. And I, and I got him. What'd you do with him? Exterminate him? He said, no. He said, I took him to downtown Dallas and turned him loose. That's like 24 miles away. You know. Wouldn't it be funny if that squirrel made his way back 24 miles and chewed the wiring harness off his thing again? Yeah, that would be cool. Anyway, Charlie was a cool neighbor. On the other side of us is Bruce and Bonnie. The night we moved in to the neighborhood was midnight, straight up midnight. And I, I, at that time, we had an RV trailer, and I, I pulled the trailer out in the street, and I got out of the, of, the, of the truck, and I was standing at the end of the driveway, and I had my hands on my hips, and I was trying to figure out, because the driveway's got a little curve in it, and I was trying to figure out how I had to back the, the trailer in to get it all the way back in. All of a sudden, I hear this shout, hey! It scared me to death. It's midnight. I look over, and there is this guy in his pajamas, and he's coming across the yard. He's got his hands stuck out. He says, hi, I'm Bruce. My wife's Bonnie. We're your neighbors. Wow, Bruce, glad to meet you. He said, uh, that's your trailer? I said, no, I stole it on the way here. <laughs> he said, you did not. I said, I know, that's my trailer. He said, you going to put it back there? I said, yeah. He said, you'll never do it turned around and walked in his house. Just to spite him, I got it in the first time. So he comes over, he comes over later on. What is it, two days later? It's like Christmas Eve or so. He, come, he comes over and, and it's like late at night. We don't have anything in the house. We have nothing in the house. We don't have, we don't have a seat, a chair, a couch, a mattress. We don't have anything in the house. We're sleeping on the carpet because we just got there. And uh, so the doorbell rings. It's 10, 10, 30, something like that at night. 
And so I, I open the door, and it's Bruce and Bonnie, and they're decked out. I mean, Bruce has got a suit on. She's got a beautiful dress on. And I, I'm assuming they've been to some you know, Christmas function. And I said, hey, Bruce, how you doing? He said, oh, great. He just walked right in. You know, doesn't wait for an invitation. He comes in. He turns around. And we have five steps that go down from the entry level to where you would go either to the kitchen or to the living area. He turns around, looks at those steps, and he said, what are you going to do when you can't get up and down those steps? I said, I, I don't know, Bruce. I said, I'm not there yet. I, I said, I get up and down pretty good right now. He said, well, there's going to be a day. You won't be able to do that. What are you going to do then? Another time, doorbell rings. Our kids are there, some of them. We have, we have thousands of kids. Well, maybe not thousands, we have lots of kids. And I told one of the kids, just go see who's at the door. I'm, I'm in the kitchen sitting at the table. Bruce just walks in. He doesn't, he doesn't identify himself to, one, to, to whoever opened the door. He just walks in, walks down, comes into the kitchen, sits down, and he said, hey! I got something to say. I said, okay, Bruce, what do you got to say? He said, I've done figured something out. I said, well, what have you figured out? He said, you don't need a house. I said, what do you mean? I don't need a house. He said, you don't need a house. I said, Bruce, how do you figure that out? I said, everybody's got to have some place to live. You know, you got you to have a place to call home. He said, you don't need a house. And I said, why don't I need a house? He said, because you're never home. Bruce and Bonnie, Charlie, good neighbors. Neighborhoods are convenient because they're right there. You can affect people's lives by walking out your front door or back door, whichever the case may be. Number two, successful neighborhood action frequently requires little specialized or technical skill and little or no money. Wow. Successful neighborhood action frequently requires little specialized or technical skill and often little or no money. All you got to do is get involved in your community and it doesn't cost you hardly anything at all. Somebody say amen. Number three, with neighborhood action, compared to activity on larger scales, results are more likely to be visible and quickly forthcoming. You know, when uh, a number of years ago, when I pastored in a little community, rural community called LaBelle, Florida, and uh, LaBelle was about 25 miles west of Fort Myers, Florida, and it was a heavily cattle, citrus, area, agricultural area. And probably on a normal basis, we had about maybe 5,000 people in the community. And then during season, during crop season, uh, we blossomed all the way up to about 30, 32,000 people because of the migrant workers that came through. And uh, although that I enjoyed pastoring and I enjoyed meeting people at the church, I enjoyed going to the grocery store because I probably did more ministry in the grocery store than I did anywhere else. I preached in the church. I taught in the church, but I did ministry in the grocery store. 
and people would stop me and they would say, hi, pastor, and they, they didn't come to our church, but they called me pastor. And then right there next to the green beans, they would spill the beans. And you know, pastor, my life is a wreck. You know, I, you know I, I don't know what's going on. I just I can't get it together. Uh, it's been like this for I can't tell you how long. What am I going to do? Am I going to say, you know what? You know, I'm shopping right now. Can you come see me on Thursday? You know where they're going to be on Thursday? They're not going to be where I am on Thursday. Amen. They have a need, and the need is right then. Amen. And so we say to them, you know what? I won't tell you something. My life was a wreck too at one time. And I tell you, the only thing that saved me was when I gave my life to Christ. How about we just pray right now? And I've never had a single individual say to me, no, I don't want to pray next to the green beans. Can we go over to the Charmin Tushi? I like it better there. No. Wherever they are, we can pray for them. Because they hurt, they're miserable, they have a need, something in their life. You know, neighborhoods are unique for all of these things. We have in the church, we have a lot of ways to influence people and win them to Christ. Churches across the U.S. and around the world are engaged in a myriad of ministries, from small Bible studies to mass evangelism to life groups, everything preaching Christ to the populace. I think at times we are trying to win the world almost from the top down. We are heavy on organization and planning. We are strong on hierarchy, ranking folks according to their status or authority. We are excellent at constructing flowcharts, a place for everyone and everyone in their place. We are brilliant at erecting and maintaining buildings and structures. We are indeed structured to much that we do, and there is nothing really wrong with that. But there is something that we can do every single day of our life that will cost us almost zero dollars. And that's to walk out our front door in our community and love our neighbors as we love ourselves and win them to Christ. Can somebody say amen? All around this globe, there are, there are neighborhoods and uh, one of those, in fact, probably one of the largest slums I just passed in Nairobi, Kenya. It may be one of the top three slums in the entire world. Estimates range from 200,000 to a million that live in that single slum. And uh, they, have, they have absolutely not a single kind of service, no electricity, no sewer, no water, no fire protection, no police protection, nothing exists in that community. They're just on their own. But from there to Joplin, Missouri, to Galena, Kansas, there are people that need Christ. They may be in your neighborhood or in my neighborhood, and they simply need to know that Christ exists, and he exists to touch them and to touch their life. I want to share with you in closing today scripture that I just really blesses my heart. Luke chapter 10. We begin in verse 25. Uh, I don't know if, if, if 
our coach can throw that up there for me or not. I'm sorry I didn't give this to you ahead of time. Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. Jesus is in the area. And the Bible said that in beginning in verse 25, said, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, let's look at this again. The lawyer is, is trying to tempt Jesus, trying to catch him in something, and he says to him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the guy says, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered right, or you have answered correctly. This do, and thou shalt live. What he said, if you do it, Jesus said, you will live. But he, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay. You know, Fred is not my neighbor because he's three doors down and there is a limit of 200 feet on being a neighbor. Uh, you know, Sally, uh, she's not my neighbor because she's across the street and around the corner. And, and everybody knows that neighbors are right next to one another and so she's really not my neighbor, she's your responsibility. Okay, so he's trying to justify himself, and he said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a story. There was a certain man, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell among thieves, they stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, and left him half dead. Now, you've got to catch this story, all right? He's got, there's this guy, he goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, falls among thieves, they stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and left him half dead. Right? And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This, this guy must have been going to a conference or something. He must have been in a hurry. I don't know. And, but, but when he came, by chance, he came down that way, and when he saw, he did see him, he didn't walk by and didn't notice him, but he did, he saw him, he was there, he was stripped, he was naked, he was wounded, he was half dead, but when the priest come by, he just kind of tiptoed on the other side and left him in the same condition that he was in. And then, there was a Levite. And when he was at the place, that means the place where the man was laying, he came and looked on him, and what did he do? Oh, man, 
oh man, what's, what's going on? Well, he did just like the priest. He slipped by on the other side and left the man in need. But then the Bible said, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. In other words, here come the priest came, saw him, went on by. Levite come, saw him, went on by. Here the Samaritan comes, he comes by the very same place, and he sees the guy on the ground. When he saw him, now listen to this. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. Let me tell you this. Compassion does not know what time of day it is. Compassion doesn't know that you have a meeting that you have to get to. Compassion doesn't know that you really, you really have a phone call that's waiting, and if you don't get there, it's going to be really you-know-what. No compassion knows no time. Somebody say amen. So he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine, sent him on his own beast, brought him to an end, and there he took care of him. The next day, when he departed, he took out two pence, gave to the host, said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come back, I will repay you. Now, that was the Samaritan. Remember, the priest went by, the Levite went by, and the Samaritan, nobody really cared about the Samaritans. But he's the one that had compassion on him and stopped and didn't just say, Hey, man, you look half dead. Sometimes I think we do that. We look at people and say, wow, you, you look horrible. And, and then we leave. We just leave them. But this man had compassion on him. And now there, there are some more questions. Jesus says to him, Which one of these do you think was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And the man replied, He that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do thou likewise. Now, you know, from my very earliest days, from the time I could walk, my mother was my Sunday school teacher. And I remember hearing this story, the story about the Good Samaritan. And, and I, I, I knew this story. I mean, I could repeat this story from, from the time I was a very small child. And I really thought this guy's name, I thought his first name was Good, and his last name was Samaritan. I would later, when I began to read, I, I would discover that that was not his name just what he was. was. He was a Samaritan, but he was good. And we wonder, 
Does it pay off to have compassion? Does it pay off to have mercy? Let me tell you, I've been around this globe, and there are places in every nation that I go to, and inscribed over their doors are the words, Good Samaritan. <laughs> Not, this is the hospital of the priest. This is the hospital of the Levite. No, it is the Good Samaritan Hospital. Agencies and institutions around the globe now claim that same function. They are the ministry of compassion and mercy go on within their hallways and they're not ashamed to call themselves good Samaritans. So Jesus said, he said, go and do thou likewise. So here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to work on Jerusalem here. And, we're, and within Jerusalem, within Joplin, and within Galena, there are neighborhoods. You know them. You live there. You can name them. There are neighborhoods within this area. And if we win these neighborhoods, then there's going to be some, there's going to be some sliding over into Judea. And there are other neighborhoods that are in Judea. And, and because that we're winning people over here in Jerusalem, we're going to win some over here in Judea. And because that we're winning people here, we already slide over here and we're in Samaria and we're touching lives that nobody else wants to touch. And at the same time that we're over here and we're ministering to Jerusalem and Judea and we're touching the Samaritans, those that are lost and forgotten, all of a sudden we go down here and we're sending or going to the ends of the earth. Neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood. And that's how we're going to win those 2.8 billion people. Now there's going to be some other things. There's some other things. Technology is a marvelous thing now. Amen? There are areas that we can put on these little chips there are these things we call smartphones, and, and we can put an entire Bible and, and many other things, study materials, etc. we put on a, on a chip, and we can get these chips into areas where we can't go. You put one in your pocket, and, and you find somebody that's interested in Christ, and you just pull it out, and you say, you know what? And if you get a chance, you put this in your phone, and you, you look at it, and tell me what you think, you know. And they find Christ that way. It wasn't very long ago, I was at an MBB conference, which is a Muslim background believers conference. Those that have once been Muslims but have come to the knowledge of Christ, most of them, there were 42 in that conference that day. Every single one of them lost their family, lost their job, lost everything they had when they come to Christ. And they were still serving Christ. At least one had been saved eight years. The, the longest one had been saved for 32 years. They lost everything when they came to Christ. Amen. There's so many marvelous ways that we can share Christ. But it all starts in the neighborhood where we are. And then we reach the neighborhoods next to us. And then we reach those lost and forgotten and marginalized and all of the earth. 
And then we read all of those in India, in Southeast Asia, in Nairobi, Kenya, in the Maasai village, down by Mount Kilimanjaro, wherever that they exist around the world, we reach them. We reach them by going, giving, going, giving, praying. Can you say amen? We commend you for all that you do for God's kingdom. I would, I would, I would love to come back again. And I would love to see every seat filled in this place. And I believe it will happen as you reach those who don't know Christ right here in your own neighborhoods. Your friends, your work associates, those that you may have a chance meeting with. The chance becomes an opportunity to show compassion and mercy and love them into the kingdom of God. Amen.